Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. In 1967, there were four uh, English theologians that got together and they penned the words, all you need is love. And there's a chance I'm just talking about the Beatles. Maybe they weren't exactly theologians, but you get my point. But they expressed something in those lyrics, in that song, that our world sure would like to believe is true. And they are far from the first or the last people to voice it. There's a mindset in our world that seems to think that true love will make everything okay. At any time, you could look at the most popular songs in our country, and a good portion of them will be related to love in some way, either in finding it for the first time, losing it and wishing you had it back, or some variation on those themes. It seems the Hallmark Channel exists purely for the sake of telling the same love story as many ways as is possible over and over again, especially through the Christmas season. Our culture is obsessed with love with finding the right person that will make my life complete. And yet I'm not entirely sure that that mindset has actually benefited our world, and I'm not entirely convinced it completely aligns with God's desires for us. Last week we started this new sermon series called Shadows, and over the course of this series we're going to be looking at things that are good things that God created and that God gave to us and things that our world chases after, but things that do not get fully brought into all they were made to be apart from how they are understood in Christ. And today we are talking about love. And we should say right up front that love is a good thing because it comes from God. In the passage of scripture we read to begin worship this morning, in 1 John chapter 4, John tells us that God is love. It is not that God is loving, it's that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 is not saying that love is one characteristic among many that God has. It is saying that God is the very definition of love. Because if God was just loving, then it was a trait that he currently has, but it might change eventually. Like how I write with my left hand. I I write with my left hand. I've done it my entire life. I'm not planning on learning how to write right-handed anytime soon. But you could imagine that if I really wanted to, if I really applied myself, really worked at it, I could eventually get to a point where I could write with my right hand better than I write with my left hand. If my parents were here right now, they'd tell you it wouldn't take a whole lot of work based on how he writes with his left hand. But that's another story. But I could learn how to write right-handed and not cease to be who I am. And that is not the case with the love of God. God is love. It is at the center of his being. He embodies it perfectly, which tells us that love is a good thing. And it tells us that God loves us. And it tells us that we were created to exist in a loving relationship with him. And it tells us that love can only be fully understood when we view it from God's perspective. So if all of that is true, you would think we would be doing a better job at love as the human race. 
you would think there would be less broken marriages and less anger and less name-calling in politics and on social media. Love is a good thing that comes to us from the God who is love, but that love gets distorted because of our sin. The love of God seeks the good of others, but from the very beginning, sin has told us we need to look out for ourselves, and looking out for ourselves distorts love. Instead of seeking the good of others, we approach love from the standpoint of wondering, what is in it for me? I want to find someone who's going to just love me for me, someone who's going to make me feel complete and whole, make all my problems go away, and if the person I choose to love for a time eventually stops fulfilling all of those duties, then I am free to move on, and if anyone gets hurt along the way as I'm trying to find myself, that's just their problem. And this thing that God gave us is a good thing to be shared with him and with one another. It is turned inward into something that only exists for my benefit alone, and that distortion, of course, most clearly happens or maybe most regularly happens in our romantic relationships, but it shows up in all sorts of other places. Love for a country is a good thing, but that gets corrupted and used to justify violence and hatred of others. Love for something we enjoy or we're gifted at is a good thing, but we turn those temporary things into something from which we try to find ultimate meaning to the point where they become all-consuming. We put weight on them they were never meant to hold, and we hurt ourselves and those around us along the way. We aspire to love, but the way we go about finding it often falls short of God's desires. Because our standard way of going about love is just a shadow of what God desires for us. We are chasing after a good thing. We're just not doing it in the right way. We want true love. We want to find the one because we want to know what it's like to experience the life-giving joy that comes from someone who commits to love you unconditionally and eternally. But that expects a lot from us. And so we settle for chasing after a shadow that tries to get that from someone else while doing the bare minimum in return. We love a good wedding because it's a celebration of two people coming together to promise to love and support one another for the rest of their lives. But at the end of the day, that ceremony and the party that comes after it is just a shadow. It's one day where we can dream about happily ever after for that couple or for ourselves, but we also know that it's not real life. Real, true, lasting love is harder to come by and more difficult to practice. We are a culture desperate for love, chasing after shadows, when Jesus, who came as the God who is love in the flesh, has come to give us the full picture. And the full picture is that Jesus came to show us that true love serves. As the Trinity has existed in perfect love, giving glory to one another for eternity, Jesus came to this earth to show that sort of love to us, a love that is based in service. And he calls us to show that same sort of love to one another. True love serves. And that might sound counterintuitive compared to how love tends to be understood in our world, but it is the love we were created for, and it is the love shown to us in Jesus. One of the places Jesus shows this most clearly is on the last night he has with his disciples. We're going to look at John 13 today. If you have a Bible and want to open it up there, you're welcome to do that. The words will be on the screen in a little bit. And while if you're turning there, I can set the scene for us a little bit and remind us that John 13 uh, is 
the time of the Passover. If you were here on Good Friday, we reflected on this passage a little bit. We talked about how this meal of Passover is a remembrance of the Exodus, remembering what God did in the past to free his people out of slavery in Egypt. And with that, there's hope attached to it that if God was able to do that in the past, then maybe he will be able to liberate us, be able to free us again sometime in the future And during this week of what will be the last week of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, hopes are high that Jesus is going to be the one to redeem God's people. The 12 disciples especially have thoughts of grandeur. For, For Jesus, sure, but maybe more so for themselves. Because they cannot wait to reap the rewards of the choice they made three years ago to hitch their wagon to Jesus. As this week draws to a close, as they prepare to eat the Passover together, they all want to be as high up Jesus' pecking order as possible so they can be the top lieutenants when he sets up this kingdom that they think is coming. But there's an awkward moment when they show up for the Passover because uh, they're in a borrowed room, and so when they show up, there's a basin and a towel in the corner of the room for foot washing, but there's no servant there to do the job. And this day where, where it's dusty, where everyone wears sandals, everyone walks everywhere they go, people don't bathe every day, feet and the scents that come from them are not things you want to be a part of your dinner party, to say the least. So it was customary for a house to have a servant at the door to, to wash the feet of guests when they arrived before the meal. And this was a demeaning job, as you might imagine. It's reserved for the lowest servant in the household. There were Jewish rabbis that taught that no Jewish person should ever force another Jewish person to perform this act for them. It's that humiliating. To wash someone's feet is to state that you're beneath them socially, that you're inferior to them. So you have a room full of disciples who think they need to prove that they are the biggest and the greatest amongst this group. You have a bunch of feet that need to be washed. You have the means to be able to do that washing and no one volunteering for the task. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine someone humbling themselves in this crowd? To wash everyone's feet would communicate to the rest of the group, you think you're at the bottom Everyone else is better than you. And when you're trying to get the positions of authority within Jesus' kingdom, there is no room for that. My guess is if you could have taken an anonymous poll of the disciples in this moment, they all would have had thoughts on who should have been doing the feet washing. But none of them would have been volunteering themselves. And when you're trying to climb the ladder, there's no room for love that serves. Yet Jesus has a different perspective. John 13, starting in verse 1, it says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not, not just my feet, but my hands and my, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus is in complete control in this moment. Uh, he knows what is about to happen. He knows he's about to be betrayed by someone sitting at this table. Think about that moment. Judas is sitting right there. And Jesus knows that Judas has already sold him out. And Judas is putting on a good show, sure, but he's being nice, but he's looking for an opportunity to slip away and meet up with the authority so that he can lead them back to arrest Jesus. Jesus knows the chain reaction that will set off, what it will mean for him, how the rest of this group, sure, right now they're bold, they're promising Jesus, they're going to be with him to the bitter end, but as soon as the mob shows up to arrest Jesus, they are all going to scatter, and that's going to mean Jesus gets arrested, he's going to get tried, he's going to get sentenced to the cross, he's going to die. Less than 24 hours from this moment, Jesus will be in the tomb. And knowing that, it would seem like, at least in my line of thinking, that this should be a time to prepare. I mean, kick Judas out of here. What good is he doing? Get the defenses put up. Get ready for what is coming. This is a crisis, and there seems to be little room for love in the midst of a crisis. Yet John 13:1 says that since Jesus had up to that point loved his own, he now loved them all the way to the end. Starting here, Running through the next few chapters of the Gospel of John, Jesus will show his followers what love truly looks like all the way up to dying on the cross. This is what Jesus has come to this earth to accomplish. He has come because of the love of God and will demonstrate what that means by serving. And for that reason, he gets up from this meal, he puts on the attire of a servant and the Son of God, who spoke creation into existence, begins washing the feet of those he created. The true king of Israel starts performing an act thought to be below any and all Israelites. The one who is about to be betrayed serves his betrayer. He gets to Peter, who's Rarely at a loss for words. 
Peter begins to protest. He says, Jesus, you, you shouldn't wash my feet. Jesus tells them I have to if you're going to be a part of my people. Peter goes way in the opposite direction. He says, well, just wash my hands and my head while you're at it. And Jesus says, no, Peter, I just need to wash your feet. And that seems like an odd moment in the, little, in the middle of this story. And as I was thinking about it this week, it doesn't usually get talked about all that much beyond just rolling our eyes at Peter and moving on. But if nothing else, this moment between Jesus and Peter, I think shows us that whatever's going on here, it's not just about making sure everyone has clean feet. It's about understanding who Jesus is, what he's about to do, and what it means to be a part of his people. He sits back down. He explains that he's done this to show his followers how authority is to be used. He is exactly who he has claimed to be, and yet he serves. And if he has done that, that should tell those who follow him how they are to care for one another. He says in these verses, he is their teacher and Lord. He has all authority. They were right when they left everything to follow him. They were right when they proclaimed that he's the Messiah. They were right when they thought that he's the king of God's people. They are right when they say that he is the son of God. Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. Yet because he has that status and authority, he serves. These next 24 hours are going to be filled with moments where it seems like Jesus is out of control. He's betrayed, he's arrested, he's tried, he's executed. But he will not lose control. And because he is in control, he can look out for others instead of himself. He washes feet because true love serves. He will give up his life on the cross because true love serves. And that understanding of love is different from our world's approach. The world might say that if Jesus is in control, he should be looking out for himself. But instead, Jesus serves. He serves others so that he might save them. And somehow this does not diminish who Jesus is. Make no mistake about it, Jesus remains exactly who he proclaimed himself to be. He's the son of God, he's eternal, he created all things, he rules all things, he's the king God promised to send his people to redeem them. He is truly under threat in this moment, he is about to be betrayed, all of that is true. And if anyone had justification to stand up for their rights, if anyone ever had the right to say, do you know who I am or do you know who my father is, it would seem to apply in this situation. Yet he serves. Because that's what true love does. And if that path was good enough for Jesus, he says that it's good enough for us. If Jesus, who has all authority over every inch of this universe, decides that the best way to demonstrate what the love of God looks like is to serve others, then we should do the same. We have missed it if we think we deserve better than Jesus. We've missed it if we think following his example of serving is optional. We've missed it when we look at other people from the perspective of, I wonder what they can do for me. We've missed it when we approach conversations trying to bend others to our will. We've missed it if our desire is to be served instead of to serve. We've missed it if we think the love of God is something that's nice to receive, but kind of optional to get hand out to someone else. 
We've missed it if we hear all of that and think, boy, I hope the person I'm mad at right now is listening. Jesus has given himself to serve us because true love serves. And he calls us to love one another with that same love. And it is in service that we find the perfect love of God. For that reason, Jesus says we will be blessed when we love by serving. But the blessing he's offering us is not how our world thinks about blessing. Notice in these verses, Jesus is not saying, you know, the world's trying to, trying to find blessing by looking out for themselves, but actually here's the, the back door, here's the, the secret way to be able to find the blessing that they are looking for. He's not doing that. He's introducing us to a completely different way of thinking. He's saying the world's way of operating is upside down. And I'm going to show you what right side up looks like. The life we were created for is found in love expressed in service. We were created by the God that is love. The God that is three persons in one has existed in a perfect relationship of self-giving love for eternity who created us to function in relationship with him and with one another with that same sort of love and we won't find true love until we learn how to serve others. That's the love God created us for. That's the love Jesus embodied on this earth. And when we follow his example, we find a life of blessing. A life based on love that serves is the kind of life God created us for. It's a life where we experience the love of God through what Christ has done to serve us and a life where in response, we love and serve others. And that sort of love is transformative. Our world is searching for a good thing, but in the wrong places. Our world says we need relationships that will, that will better us, whether it's friendships or dating or marriage. The end goal should be what is best for you. Find someone who will love you as you are, and no healthy relationship ever leaves both people unchanged. So if our goal in love is to confirm that we're great as we are, we will find ourselves severely disappointed. We will go about every relationship keeping score, wondering what can I get out of it, wondering if I could get a better deal somewhere else, and we will constantly be hurting those around us in the process. It's not the life we were created for. We were created by the God who came to this earth as a servant to live in this world with the same perspective. Jesus did not look to his own needs, but to the needs of others. He served when he could have been demanding that he be served. And this is who our God is. He's not in heaven demanding things of us. He comes near to serve as an overflow of the perfect love within God himself so that we might be transformed and step into the life God created us for and offer that love to the world around us so that there might be transformation. You might be hearing all of that and think, that sounds nice to love people that are going to love you in return, but beyond that, it doesn't sound practical. Sure, true love may serve, but I'm not sure the people around me deserve true love. Love that serves sounds like you're rolling over, you're letting people walk over you. If I serve others, when am I going to be served? If I don't take care of myself, who will? Isn't it safer to just settle for selfishness and maybe, though, maybe loving those that I like as long as it doesn't interfere with my interests too much? If that's your line of thinking, I get it. Because to serve is to make ourselves vulnerable. To bend down to wash someone's feet at least opens up the possibility that they're going to kick you while you're down there. 
in response to that thinking, we look first to Jesus and then to one another. Jesus serves here because he's in control. He serves because he knows how the story ends. He will go to the cross, but the story ends in his resurrection where death is defeated and he is enthroned in heaven forever where he reigns now. Because that's where the story ends, he is free to love and serve his followers because his status is not threatened by service. Jesus can serve and call us to serve as well because he is in control. He's in control just as much now as he was at the Last Supper. So we can follow his example. If he can love and serve because he knows that he will be vindicated at the resurrection, then we can do the same. Jesus rules all things. He's promised us eternal life with him, and that sets us free to love and serve others with the transforming love of God. We don't serve by our own might, but by the presence of God with us and alongside one another. This call to love and serve is not for one person to to serve while everyone else takes. The call of Jesus is for a group of people to all be focused first and foremost on loving and serving one another. That's the sort of love God uses to restore all things. It is God's people selflessly loving and serving one another in a world-seeking self-fulfillment that gives a preview of what God desires for all humanity and what will one day be true in his restored creation. The love of God is the answer to a world that is longing for love but too self-absorbed to truly find it. We were made to love, to love God and to love one another. And we go about pursuing that in all sorts of distorted ways, but the ultimate thing we are pursuing, whether we recognize it or not, is revealed in Jesus. We were created for love that serves. It's the love Jesus has shown us, It's the love he's demonstrated on the cross. It's the love available because of his resurrection. It is that sort of love that is making our world new, and we are invited to be a part of extending that love across the globe. And that might seem broad and vague and overwhelming, but it starts right here. It starts with a group of people following Jesus together in love and service. It starts by waking up each day asking God what it means to look to the needs of others instead of my own. It starts by not looking at other people of what can they, from the perspective of what can they do for me, but from the perspective of how can I serve them. If you've never experienced the serving love of God for yourself, I'm asking you to step into that today because God created you to experience it. If you know that God loves you, but find yourself tending towards looking out for yourself instead of loving and serving others, I am asking you to repent, to acknowledge your shortcomings. Not because I've got anything figured out that you don't, but because I want all of us to experience the life that God desires for us. If you think you know what all this means, you just don't know how to apply it, I'm asking you to, I'm asking you to commit to asking God to fill you with his spirit, to fill you with his wisdom, so that you might live out the life he's calling you to. My prayer for us as a church is that we would be known as people that truly love one another. Not coming into this building to make sure our agendas get carried out. 
Not people that can be nice for one hour a week as we hold on to our grudges under the surface. Not people that think humility and service is nice as long as other people do it for me. But people that love and serve one another. Living life together in a posture of at first and foremost looking to love and serve one another. And I want that for us. I want that for myself. I want it for you. Because when we do that, we show what the love of God looks like to a world that desperately needs to see it. The true love of God that serves makes all things right. And I hope you know that love more and more deeply each and every day. And if you need help figuring out what that looks like, don't leave this building today without asking someone for help, whether it's me or someone else. But no matter what you do, enter into a new week knowing the love Jesus has shown you and go out in the world showing that love to others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love poured out for us on the cross. That Christ came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, a ransom for us. So that we might be set free from our sin and our death and brought into life with you. God, for those of us that have never experienced that personally, I'm, I ask that you would impress those truths upon them right now. For those of us that know that truth already, God, I ask that you would give us wisdom to know what it looks like to truly love and serve others in that way. God, in all things, we pray that you would receive the glory in us here, now, and always. as we love and serve as you have called us to do. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. 